0: Welcome back to the Not Rich Yet podcast, where we have meaningful discussions on all things money, entrepreneurship, and leadership to help you uncover opportunities to build wealth in ways that are meaningful to you. I'm your host, Jasmine Suknanen. And before we jump in, I just have a quick heads up that next week, the week of January 30th, There will be no new episodes uploaded to this podcast. I'm in the process of moving, and I just need some time to get back up into my new place before I can resume coordinating with guests. In the meantime, though, if you're new to this podcast, you can listen to the nine other great episodes we've uploaded so far. Now, on to today's episode... This is the first real solo show that I'm releasing on the podcast. So I really wanted it to be on something that was very near to me and something that I could just talk about for hours and hours unless somebody stops me. So today, that topic is blogging. I've been a blogger since 2015 when I was in college. And blogging is always mentioned in articles and on other websites as a side hustle idea, which honestly kind of annoys me sometimes because so many people just think that blogging is easy and making money blogging is easy and that blogging is just this really easy, quick way to earn extra income. And First of all, I can tell you from firsthand experience that it is not. Second, and I've been saying this a lot recently, but I don't think there's any such thing as a side hustle anymore because nowadays it really takes full-time effort just to get set up market your services, market your product, promote yourself on social media, post consistently to social media, coordinate with clients and customers, and just manage the day-to-day operations so you can continue receiving a steady flow of customers. So you're basically doing all this full-time work for what's supposed to only feel like something you do on the side. And third, I feel like so many people who just regurgitate what they think they know about blogging have never actually been a blogger before. So I thought I'd do an episode on this topic and share my own experiences and tips, which I hope that anyone who does want to try their hand at blogging this year can learn a lot from this episode. So to kind of get into my background with blogging, I started my blog in 2015. It was December 2015, um, and I was a sophomore in college. I had just switched my major to journalism, and I basically was going through you know all these college experiences that... I didn't really have anybody to walk me through personally. I was the first one in my family to go to college. My parents didn't go. And I also was just, you know, in that process of learning how to write a resume, right? Look for internships. I was learning how to create a study schedule that works for me, learning how to uh, find the best Uh, cheapest textbook resources, right? Nobody really was able to walk me through all of that because nobody that I knew personally had gone through it before. So I was kind of a guinea pig in that sense and just having to learn it all on my own. And I just wanted a way to share everything that I was learning with other people who also wanted advice, who wanted to know what I know. And that's basically one of the reasons why I started that blog in the first place. Um, It also really helped that, you know, I wanted to be a writer as a career. I had never had an editorial internship before. And once I switched my major to journalism in 2015, I knew that my goal was to get an internship that summer. So, I wanted to make sure that I was creating some writing clips. Even as a college student, my personal ethos was to always create an opportunity for myself Even when there were none already created for me. So, I have definitely always been that self starter who was ready to build my own door if opportunity didn't knock. And my blog was my way of doing that. So, I primarily covered college lifestyle and career advice on my blog. Of course, I had some other topics on there too, like beauty, some fashion tips, and things like that. But my real strength was covering college lifestyle advice and career advice. So that blog really gave me, um, you know, just my first taste of having my own byline. I wrote a ton of content, and, you know, I was always coming up with new ideas. I had to manage my editorial calendar myself. My blog was my first taste of SEO, not even from an internship. It was my blog that taught me some of those skills and taught me how to use WordPress and how to, you know, navigate creating certain elements for, a website. And I even taught myself a little bit of HTML so that I could better understand some of the things that I needed to do on the back end of my blog. So when I started blogging, the climate of blogging was very interesting um, because it was still reaching maturity. So blogging really became a thing around like 2005-2006. And mommy bloggers were basically a niche that really contributed to a lot of that early growth of blogs. Mommy bloggers were individuals who were parents who would get online to share their parenting tips and talk about the day-to-day that um, they had to manage as parents. So This was happening around 2005, 2006. So I started my blog again in 2015. And I also kind of noticed that there was a new sort of cohort of bloggers that were arising at that time. Other college bloggers like myself and the lifestyle niche was also really becoming popular around there. I was noticing so many more bloggers out there who were talking about things like a day in their lives and products they use and their morning routines and things like that. And also at that time that I was really just getting started with my blog, it was also a time when it was still kind of easy to grow organically on social media like Instagram. However, at the same time, Instagram was also kind of becoming less and less lenient on their algorithms. So it, it was kind of like a bottle cap, a bottleneck moment, sort of, um, where it was really easy to grow organically at first. And over time, it was becoming harder and harder to do so Um One thing that really stuck out to me from that time as well was just the follow for follow method, which I don't even think many people do that nowadays. I think nowadays it probably wouldn't even work as well as it did back then. But the follow for follow method was basically um, this strategy that was encouraged by a lot of um, social media influencers at the time to. Grow your following very quickly um, with as little effort as possible. Basically, it entails you going on to accounts that had a similar niche as you, going to their photos and their posts, and um, going to the people who interacted with their posts, and just basically following the people who engaged And the hope was that they would follow you back. And then you would basically unfollow them after they followed you back. And the hope was that they wouldn't notice and you would just have more followers. Um, That kind of quickly dissipated, basically. Um, But that was something that really stood out to me just looking back on the climate of what blogging was at the time when I was really getting started and really just trying to take off. And then another thing that really stuck out about that time was it was also a climate where you would be paid about $150 to $200 for a full blog post an Instagram post, a Twitter post, and a Facebook post. So just in thinking about how it is nowadays in 2023, I feel like nowadays people very easily just get thousands of dollars to create one social media post or even a handful of social media posts if they have really large followings. But at that time, we were only being paid around $150 for an entire blog post with photos, Instagram posts, Twitter posts, and Facebook posts. So distribution across all of our social media platforms. So comparing that to what it is nowadays, and even if nowadays you are not at a place where you're making thousands of dollars off of one partnership deal, you're still probably making a lot more than we were at that time at $150. So that's basically a rundown of what that climate was like at that time. And for me, in terms of growing my audience, I feel like that was something that I had to be very creative about. I think that I thrive when it comes to reaching and innovating with an existing audience, but growing an audience, especially at the time when I was still a college student and I just did not have that much professional experience with audience development, um, It was absolutely a challenge, right? But Pinterest was my best friend when it came to growing my blog. And I did not have success on other social media platforms in the same way that I had success on Pinterest. Um, It was very easy for me to get acquainted with Pinterest. It was a very visual platform and it still is a very visual platform, but I learned very quickly that pinterest really operates as a search engine so again that was something that i was learning through the experience of blogging and not even something that a job or an internship taught me it's something i learned just by being a blogger so pinterest operates as a search engine and not only that but i quickly found out about group boards on pinterest And that was how I really started to gain followers on Pinterest and also gain page views for my blog. So group boards were basically um, a type of board where somebody or an organization who had a lot of Pinterest followers would create a board that would enable the ability for other Pinterest users to collaborate on that board. So they could invite you to be a collaborator. So now you can add pins to their board, even though you did not create that board. And they could have so many different people contributing to this board. And that was great for them because on Pinterest, the more you pin, the more followers you kind of got at the time. There was this I guess, direct relationship between the number of times you pinned per day and the number of followers you would would accumulate. So it was great for them because you now have all these other users pinning to your board on your account for your followers to view and interact with, and you don't even have to do anything. But it was also great for us who were pinning to that board because it meant that our content pins were reaching a wider audience and we were getting views for our blogs, for our YouTube channels, for whatever it is we wanted to get views on just by being collaborators and pinning our content to the board. Now, of course, creating the Pinterest pins was another uh, story. Uh, It did take time to create things, but I just used Canva, which many people still use Canva nowadays. Canva made it so easy for me to create pins in the right size and to kind of create my branding the way I wanted it and just create an overall really consistent look for my content. So whenever I typed in something like, college tips or college advice, I could scroll through all the results and immediately recognize when a pin was my own pin. So Pinterest was really responsible for a ton of that growth. I joined so many different group boards. There was one that I joined for um pinning content for millennials, there was one or several rather that I joined for content around college lifestyle. And there were a few that I joined for career tips. And at one point I even created a group board of my own, which was a lot of fun to manage. Um, It could be a little hectic with getting so many requests to Uh, have people join your board as a collaborator. Um, But it was really great for me to manage because it basically allowed me to use the following that I had at the time to expose other people to a new audience, while again, also making sure that my followers were getting new content that I didn't even have to create myself. So I would definitely say Pinterest was a huge, huge driver in page views for me. And I grew my blog, which I didn't mention this earlier. I grew my blog to a point where I was receiving over 100,000 page views a month. Um, I really got serious about it. And to be honest, even in the beginning, I wasn't as serious as I wish I had been about blogging. I wasn't tracking any metrics whatsoever. And then I decided that I would begin tracking my metrics. And that was also when my growth exploded. So I believe in that whole saying that what doesn't get tracked doesn't grow. And this is definitely an example of that. I took my blog from getting like 10 page views a month to 100 page views the next month. And from there, I went from 100 page views to 1,000 page views the next month. Then from 1,000 page views, I went to 2,000 page views. 2,000 page views turned into 6,000 page views. And before I knew it, I was consistently getting 10,000 page views a month. And over the years, as I continued to blog and continue to dive deeper into career content and college lifestyle advice, I was consistently getting 100,000 views per month. Nowadays, I don't do anything at all to maintain my blog or to publicize it in any way. And yet I still consistently get about 20,000 views per month literally not even doing anything. my posts just continue to live on there. my Pinterest pins continue to live on Pinterest um, and I don't do anything at all to promote or maintain it in any way. And so I know that when it comes to blogging another super um, you know popular thing to ask about has to do with revenue. So for me, my main source of revenue for my blog was through sponsorships and I didn't have sponsorships so consistently to an extent that today's bloggers and influencers are receiving sponsorships. Like for so many people today, those sponsorships are their primary source of income. That is their uh, full-time job basically Um, For me, it was never my full-time job, and I never really had the intention of making it my full-time job. So I was not putting in the work to do sponsorships quite as frequently as many other people did them. My sponsorships came probably once or twice a month. Um, I joined different groups to be able to apply for opportunities. So if you're starting a blog this year, Social Fabric is one group that um, is basically for bloggers to join. And you can use that to apply for sponsorship opportunities you think you might be a fit for. Um, Through that, I was able to work with brands like Neutrogena and some other cosmetic companies and things like that and not only that but I also was at a point where I was getting brands reaching out to me to work together um, whether it was paid or unpaid and of course I definitely had my fair share of unpaid opportunities but they were still very fun opportunities for me. Um, again, at the time I was still in college, so earning an income off of my work was not necessarily the most top of mind thing. And I'm not saying that that's an excuse to not be paid for your work. If you can get paid for your work, you absolutely should be getting paid for it, especially if you're extremely experienced, Um And can definitely deliver on what you say you can deliver on. But for me, it just wasn't something that I was being super urgent about at the time. Um, And who knows, maybe I should have been a little more urgent about getting paid for um, featuring a product or for writing a review of something. But for me, when it came to partnerships, my ethos was very simple there. I would work with you if I believed in your product, if it was something that I genuinely loved and actually wanted to promote. So because of that, I found myself working with brands that primarily spoke to college students. Um, That was the identity I fit at the time. And I was very passionate about all things, uh, college life really. So That was where my strength was, was in being able to sit there and talk at length about the many ways to use a planner or all the things you actually need for your dorm room and things like that. And then, of course, another thing I did to earn a little bit of revenue was to enable advertisements for my blog. I used Google AdSense to run ads. It was so easy because I didn't have to really do anything. Like I didn't have to approve every individual ad that was on my website. I didn't have to negotiate any fees or anything like that. It was all basically done for me. Um, The one drawback to that, though, is a lot of advertising um, platforms don't offer you a huge commission on, um, you know, you, the views you get. So some days I was earning literal pennies, but as my uh, viewership increased, the money I earned from advertisements increased a lot. And advertising revenue was never, by any means, um, anything significant because the cost per impression was so low. Um, and I just never really grew my page viewership to a point where I was getting millions and millions and millions of views every month. So of course, you're not going to earn anything much from um, those kinds of advertisements if you are not also receiving like such a high number of page views each month either. So that was something I enabled because I thought it would be great to try, but um, I did not really earn anything much off of it, at least not as much as I earned from working with brands. And then affiliate links are another very popular way to earn money off of a blog in general, um, which nowadays so many people use affiliate links. Um, to earn revenue. It was never really something that I felt I was good at. And I think at the time too, nobody ever really had a handle on how to use affiliate links in a way that felt organic. Like nowadays you open a newsletter and, you know, at the bottom, you might have a link to like join a group or like sign up for Bluehost or whatever And, you know, it kind of feels a little more organic. But at the time, I don't think that creators really had a handle on how to make affiliate linking feel like something that was natural. And I definitely didn't either. So I think I probably added like one or two affiliate links to old content um, back then. But it was never something that I tried to concern myself with. So I understood what an affiliate link would do and I understood the FTC rules and regulations around disclosing things like affiliate links. So, I mean, my blog, I think was a fantastic experience. And even aside from uh, things like money, there were also some Other benefits that I got to experience when it came to my blog, um, I remember getting to go to a lot of really cool events and just having really great opportunities to attend conferences and things like that that I was interested in, especially because keep in mind that influencer marketing at the time was still finding its footing in the media industry. It was not quite as big as it is right now like nowadays there are firms and funds putting millions of dollars into the into the creator economy back then that wasn't really the case so even something as small as uh going to an event where brands would be present um was a very exciting opportunity some of the more exciting things I did was just getting to uh, go to New York Fashion Week one weekend, I remember. That was definitely a huge highlight of my whole like blogging career, for sure. And it's probably something that I wouldn't have been able to do if I didn't have that blog. And of course, there were my share of mistakes that I made. Um... And looking back uh, and knowing what I know now, I feel like it's kind of clear to see where I was going wrong. But at that time, I didn't really have a way of predicting what would happen in the future. I had no idea how big um, influencer marketing would become. In the years to follow, I had no idea that social media would play such an instrumental role in helping people earn a sustainable income. So, I mean, one of the biggest mistakes I made when it came to this blog was not setting it up for financial success from day one. So again, when I started my blog, I think the common piece of advice that I was seeing other bloggers share at the time was do not start a blog thinking that you'll make money from it. I know that is a huge contrast to what we're hearing now which I mentioned at the start of this episode. Nowadays, everybody talks about blogging as a way to make money. And so many people encourage it as a way to start earning additional income. But at that time, we were being told that you are barely going to make money blogging. We were being told, do not start a blog in order to make money. Uh, We were also being told that if you do start earning money off of your blog, it likely won't be until you're like a good two years into the process. So these were all the things we were hearing at that time, which probably sounds wild given what we see in today's blogging climate. But I really took a lot of that that advice to heart. And, you know, like I understood where the advice was coming from. Like on the one hand, of course, like your main goal with blogging, um, for the most part, we did blogging because we enjoyed it. We did blogging because we wanted to tell a story, because we wanted to give tips to people, because we wanted to be able to talk about something we had a deep passion for something that we had an expertise in right um but at the same time like it is great to be able to get paid for your work so i had internalized that advice and i did not really do anything to set my blog up to start earning money um and then it absolutely came back to bite me in the butt because by the time newsletters were really becoming a thing and by the time people were starting to make money off of newsletters, I had no newsletter, you know, um, I had never written a newsletter before and now I was paying for it. Uh, so I did none of those great steps that I probably should have done, And as a result, by the time I was caught up on the ways that I could make more money from my blog, it kind of just felt like I was missing too many steps. Like there were just so many things that I like felt like I missed the opportunity to learn and I just did not feel like trying um, so much anymore anymore. Then another mistake that I felt was costly, not in the sense that I was burning money, but in the sense that I was missing out on the opportunity to make money was just not keeping up with social media. I mean, truthfully, by the time um, influencer marketing really began to take off, I just was kind of tired of social media. I didn't want to deal with it. Um, and I had also recently graduated too, so I was becoming very focused on my job after college, so I was no longer on a campus, I could no longer do photo shoots with my friends after classes and things like that, so it also became very hard to create that content for social media, in my opinion anyways. So not keeping up with it meant that my following, whatever small following I had amassed, admittedly, um, was also dwindling. (laughs) So I did not keep up with that at all. Um, And also in the first place, I did not separate my uh, blogging presence from my personal presence online, um, particularly on Instagram. Uh, because I didn't know necessarily if it was a good idea. And I probably should have listened to my gut at the time. I did not want to start from scratch. I didn't want to have to try to grow organically from zero by creating a separate blogging um, account on Instagram. And I paid for that dearly because The people I knew personally were not always necessarily the same people who were my target audience. They did not always necessarily want to see sponsored content pop up on their feeds. They didn't necessarily want to see like photos of my coffee or whatever content I was trying to create. They also probably didn't want to see Multiple posts from me um, all in the same week because of the algorithm. Uh, So, the people I knew personally were not always necessarily my ideal audience, and they were also not necessarily always an engaging audience either. And that was an issue. And I think that that really stagnated a lot of my growth or my potential growth. That I could have gotten from my blogging presence. So that was a major mistake, I would say, as well. I should have separated that blogging presence from day one. It probably would have taken me further because I probably would have been able to find people who did fit my ideal audience at that time. And in terms of just being able to set yourself up for financial success. If you want to start a blog this year and you're not sure what you can do to make sure that you are going to put yourself in a strong place to actually earn money from your blog, I do have a couple of tips for you. So number one, I would say, once again, start your social media account from scratch. I know like it sucks and it's hard and it feels impossible to grow organically, especially nowadays, but keep in mind that you can always promote your new blogging account on your personal account so that if there are any people who follow you on your personal account who actually are interested in following your blogging account, they can do so. And if not, they'll probably ignore you anyways, but whatever. So I would absolutely separate that presence from day one to set yourself up for um, the right opportunities and to set yourself up to actually have a following that genuinely engages with your content. I would also say get on TikTok and post if you haven't already. I feel like we are very quickly approaching that just time on TikTok where organic growth is going to be almost impossible. So I would make use of that. I would start posting on TikTok Um I would really start to hone in and grow your audience there. Um, Do not get trapped um, the way so many other bloggers got trapped where they didn't take enough of a chance on posting on Instagram. And then it ended up being past the point of easy or relatively easy organic growth on the platform. So I would take advantage of TikTok while you still can. And then I would also create and maintain a newsletter, which again is something that I did not do from day one and I really, really should have. And even speaking of a newsletter, I'm going to take my own advice and create one for this podcast because your newsletter is your way to directly reach the most engaged members of your audience, right? And you'll be able to see what percentage of your subscribers are actually opening your newsletters and you'll be able to find metrics to figure out um, how to improve it and how to reach more of those members. But your newsletter is a very direct way to reach your audience members and to help promote more engagement. Your newsletter can also be a very powerful way to make revenue as well because people who are opening up newsletters may also be likely to click on an affiliate link to uh, sign up for something that you promote or sign up for a tool that you say you use or sign up for a service or product that you say you can get them a discount on. So I would absolutely uh, create and maintain a newsletter from very early on. Then I would also create a really good media kit. I had a media kit, um, or actually I had many iterations of a media kit when I was still actively blogging. Um, and it did help me get sponsorships as well because it was just a nice, concise one pager on who I was, what my blogging experience was, the areas I covered, the previous brands I had worked with, and what my rates were. I created that kit using Canva, which you can very easily do, especially because as Canva has grown, they've implemented so many nice little templates that you can customize and fit to your liking. So it is easier than ever to create a media kit. And if you don't want to use a a template you find on Canva, you can actually go on Etsy and purchase a media kit template for super cheap, usually just a couple of dollars, um, like two or three dollars from an independent Etsy creator, an independent small business on Etsy who created that just for you. And then the other thing I would say is to just track your goals. I, when I got serious about blogging and wanting to grow my blog, I checked my metrics daily. At the very end of every day, I would sit down and I would go into Google Analytics, which was what I was using to track my KPIs. And I would record my page views for that day. I would record my bounce rate. I would look at what posts people were reading at the time. Um, And that also allowed me to create a content strategy because I could then iterate off of whatever was doing really well and figure out ways to tweak what wasn't doing so well. And I knew when to promote what was doing really well um, versus when to promote something else. So I would become very religious about tracking your key blog metrics from day one. Because again, what doesn't get tracked doesn't grow. And I was definitely very aggressive about it. I would handwrite everything into this little like, growth map that I drew myself in a notebook. Um, But it worked for me because I was getting months where I was getting 100,000 page views. So Find the method that works best for you when it comes to tracking your blog. So that's basically been my experience with blogging. Um, There's probably things that I like forgot to mention that were just not totally top of mind, which I can always do a later episode on those things. Um, But otherwise, I hope you enjoyed listening to what my experience was like as a blogger. And I hope you get to implement some of the tips that I shared. If you have any questions about blogging at all and just want to know where to get started um, and need some guidance in terms of hosting, domain purchasing, and things like that, I've done it many times now. I am happy to be of help. Just email me at notrichyetpod at gmail.com.